Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. Join Andy Schneider, national spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Factor Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. All righty. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Actually, second show this week here on Backyard Poultry with Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Tucker Milling. And, uh, yeah, we had a show today with... uh, Poultry scientist Dr. McCray, and that was that was a good one. It was all about 4-H uh, poultry programs that are available uh, for kids, and uh, always to FSA and get the kids out there across America interested in agriculture. So, gotta love that. Had a, a really awesome show to kick off the, the 2021 year, and that is poultry veterinarian Dr. Maurice Pateski will be talking all about how to prepare. For a new flock, tis the season. All of the Facebook chicken groups and forums and blogs and everything related to backyard poultry. Uh, everybody's getting geared up for this season. We're seeing tons of posts about incubation and hey, I want to do this or what's the best incubator or you know, hey, can I handle this? How hard is this? You know, as far as incubation goes, and already talking about you know all the folks that got started last year because. Regardless whether it was pandemic-induced chicken or maybe, uh, now you have so many people that are wanting to add uh, to their flock, and um, this issue, and they want to know how to do that. Uh, I would say first off, you just want to make sure that if you're going out and purchasing uh, full-grown hens to add to your flock, uh, or really getting or bringing birds onto your property from anywhere else. Uh, you want to quarantine them for 30 days and definitely look, be on the lookout for uh, mites and lice and respiratory issues and illness and disease and things like that. 30 days, folks. And uh, a lot of people, uh, again, there's so many people now. We've made great strides in talking about biosecurity over the years, but it is very important. Um, I've even started lately seeing a lot of folks say, uh, they'll ask questions like, can I get bird seed to my hens? And uh, some people will say, well, I have all the time as a treat, or I mix it in with this or that. And then there are those on the forum or blog or, or um, uh, group that say, oh, yeah, that's when I let my chickens out, the first place they go, they run right over to underneath the wild bird feeder and get up all the crumbs. And then, of course, we have a great article 
by Dr. May uh, about the dangers of having uh, backyard feeders and bird baths in your backyard with your chicken flock, because that is a huge vector for disease for your backyard flock. You know, you think about that picture where you have that wild bird feeder or wild bird bath, which is attracting now. Uh, because we know you can't stop just the occasional wild bird from landing in your yard and then flying back. But to attract, and basically what you're doing is attracting disease to your backyard flock, there's a big difference there. Um, you have these bird feeders or these bird baths, and you're attracting, let's face it, attracting disease to your backyard. The wild bird comes over and flies to the top of that bird feeder. They're sitting up there for a period of time. Some seed falls down to the grass below, but also what's falling down to the grass below is bird poop. Uh, and then, of course, as she stated, she opened her back, her, 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 her girls out of her coop, and every morning they run over to the bird feeder, and they get exposed to whatever diseases those wild birds may be bringing. Same things with allowing wild birds to fly into your run or into your coop, um, and, uh, and they can bring the mites, disease, and lots of bad want. So newbie out there, definitely do your research on biosecurity uh, for birds. Um, I was the national spokesperson for the USDA biosecurity for birds program. Okay, 10 long years. We traveled the country and educated folks on biosecurity and what to do to try to prevent infectious poultry diseases from affecting their flock many different ways from, you know, not sharing tools with your neighbor and, uh, you know, not maybe going on that local chicken coop tour where you walk in every single backyard with every single, you know, all the birds and just different things like that, things you can do to, to try to what you can do to prevent those diseases from affecting your flock. And you're like, oh, I've kept chickens for 19,000 years. Nah, I've never had a problem. But just look around. You'll you'll see people, plenty of people that have had problems. Oh, um, that happened to me. I rescued three birds, and I put them with my existing flock, and now they're all dead. But, or, oh, it was a nightmare because, you know, three weeks later, they all had this goop, and their eyes were swollen shut, and I learned my lesson. So uh, just because it hasn't happened to you in 19,000 years of keeping chickens doesn't mean it's been a nightmare for a lot of other people. You've just been lucky. That's all that is. Um, so, yeah, definitely uh, uh, brush up on your biosecurity, especially if you're a new flock owner, because we don't want to see you have a bad time or a bad experience uh, with your flock. And so many people right now are getting ready to add to their flock this uh, spring. Um, all the major hatcheries now are taking orders, so you can go out there, and there's tons of them. Uh, ideal poultry, uh, you can order through Stromberg's, uh, and they are, uh, Stromberg's is not a hatchery. They used to be many, many years ago, family-owned hatchery. Uh, now they're kind of, they really specialize in backyard poultry and poultry supplies, if you will. And they, they're really into bees now, too. Stromberg's Chickens now does a lot with, with bees, um, backyard bees, and, um, and they, they're kind of the go-to supply source now for backyard poultry supplies. Uh, back in the day when they were doing supplies, a lot of y'all remember Randall Berkey. They don't. They they got out of the supply business. You can't go and order backyard poultry supplies from Randall Berkey anymore. Uh, they just are now focusing on chicken treats. Um, so StrombergsChickens.com is now the place for the the your all your supplies that you might need from processing to anything else. Um, and uh, uh, so so yeah, tons of people are getting ready for spring as we are. We've already started working on the spring issue of Chicken Whisperer magazine. In fact, Dr. Poteski, I see he's joined us. He'll be getting an email probably later this afternoon from me. 
He's been a contributor for Chicken Whisper magazine for probably about six years now. I think this is the sixth year uh, that the magazine has been out. And uh, Dr. Maurice, he's going to be getting an email saying, hey, let's talk about toxic topics for the spring issue. And uh, so we're, we're getting ready for a big spring season uh, with backyard poultry. So today is a fitting topic, uh, prepping for a new flock. And we're going to get to it here right after, you guessed it, our first commercial break. So stay with us. Hey, during the commercial break, uh, get that pen and paper ready because you're going to want to take a lot of notes. And also, if you tune in late, no worries. This radio show will be uh, basically delivered into podcast form right after the show. So you can listen to it 24 hours a day, seven days a week for as many times as you want. We'll be back right after this short break. Don't go anywhere. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Chickens across the country are flocking to grubbits. These natural, oven-dried, black soldier fly larvae are sustainably raised right here in the USA. Grubbits account for 10 to 15% of a normal diet and are available at almost half the price of some competing brands. More calcium, stronger eggshells, healthier feathers, happier hens. Find Grubbits online at grubbits.com, on social media at Grubbits, or on Amazon, G-R-U-B-B-E-T-S. That's Grubbits, the feed chickens need. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. Hey, actually, uh, speaking of grubbits, um, which is the natural dried black soldier fly larva produced right here in the good old USA, uh, out in California, we had the folks from Grubbits on the uh, podcast uh, probably back towards summer of last year. And um, they basically take all of the leftover um, produce from the grocery store. So this is not, you know, they're, they're not doing food scraps left that scraped off a plate at a restaurant. All these things are have been unused. They are, you know, the grocery store, all the extra from the grocery store that they don't sell before they get the next shipment in and different things like that um, out in California. So they are USA produced natural black soldier fly larvae, and they're running a sale their, their everyday price is already phenomenal. A lot of y'all are probably familiar with uh, another brand of black soldier fly larvae uh, that is also produced in the U.S. 
Um, but Grubbits uh, is where you can save some scratch, if you will. Um, the competitor, their two-pound bag is $28.99 for two pounds, $28.99. And Grubbits right now, they're having a sale for their two-pound bag is only $15.99. Folks, that's almost 50% off. That's almost half off for, again, USA-sourced black soldier fly larvae. Um, we all work hard for my, our money. I know you work hard for your money. And why are you paying almost double for USA-sourced black soldier fly larvae for your chickens? I mean, about twice as much, okay, um, for for about the same price. So check them out at grubbets.com, G-R-U-B-B-E-T-S, G-R-U-B-B-E-T-S, grubbets.com. Hit on order now, and uh, you'll see it's $15.99 for the two-pound bag. Uh, they got a five-pound bag, which is oh, okay. Here we go. Here's here's a perfect example. They're having a sale. Their five-pound bag is twenty-nine ninety-nine, so a dollar more than the competitor's two-pound bag. So you can buy the competitor's black soldier fly larvae USA sourced for a two-pound bag for twenty-eight ninety-nine, or you can buy a five-pound bag of these USA sourced grubbits um, black soldier fly larvae for a dollar more. So you're basically getting what three more pounds for a buck. Um, and it's just fantastic. Let's see. They also have a, <laughs> a 10 pound bag and it's, uh, it's just $60. So go look and see what the other folks are charging for a pound bag. It's, uh, so I just wanted to share that sale that's going on right now. Grubbits.com. Um, I'm not a big fan of treats. Y'all know that y'all long time followers, but a lot of our listeners, a lot of you out there, Probably overtreat your chickens, and that's for another day and another topic. But save some scratch, and uh, don't throw all your money away. Okay, don't stop. Stop getting ripped off. Stop getting ripped off. All right, let's start this show. Uh, we've got prepping for a new flock with friend, poultry veterinarian, Doctor Maurice Batiski, and he is here, ready to share all of his knowledge with us about the wheel. Uh, giving us information on what we need to know to, you know, prep for that new flock this spring because it is the season. Dr. Poteski, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy New Year, sir. Yeah, Happy New Year, Andy. It's good to be here. Yeah, thanks for uh, coming out. Great topic for this year. And I wasn't kidding. Later today, you'll probably get an email <laughs> about the spring <laughs> issue of Chicken Whisperer magazine. And uh, if you can just shoot me over top. Actually, wait a minute. You actually... In my text messages here, uh, you gave me a couple of choices for this radio show. Let me see if one of those might be a good topic for the uh, magazine. Let's see. Um, oh, well, is it gonna? Did my phone freeze? <laughs> Don't Let's ask see. me to remember what I texted you. Oh, basic first aid. That oh, might be yeah, a good one. Could, could we do that for then that way I, I can uh, you'll still get the email but I already have down your topic for the spring <laughs> issue. <laughs> so yeah, so that you, would be great. Uh, that's the basic first aid for the spring issue of Chicken Whisper Magazine. Hey, we just we just had our conversation on on the air, so perfect. <laughs> I'll, I'll put right. I'll put down basic first aid. You'll still get that crazy email I always send out, but um, we'll already know your topic, so you don't have to reply. So so good deal. Basic first aid um, sounds like a plan. So I hope you and your family are doing well for 2021. Yeah, we're doing okay. A lot of craziness, but uh, uh, kids are amazing. They just kind of keep going, going, keep going, and going and going. So they, they're they're a good distraction for better or for worse. 
<laughs> yeah, keeping your mind <laughs> off other things, I guess. Yep, that's kind of yeah. how mine are. And uh, hey, yeah. um, I don't know because um, I don't think you're on Facebook, but and, I, and um, the last show, I was telling uh, the listeners that my son, who's nine, has started flying lessons of all things. He started wow. showing interest in uh, in World War II history, and then after that, nice. he got really really interested in the World War II bombers. So. Um, and he'll just watch documentary after documentary on, you know, the either B twenty nine, B seventeen, B fifty, all these bombers and and, and and the different battles of World War Two. And then um, he got into flying and said, "Well, say maybe we'll do a discovery flight." You know, so we we went down to a local airport and and uh, he did the discovery flight. And of course, you know, his face getting out of the airplane, running up to us, giving us a big hug, saying, "Oh man, that was awesome!" All that kind of stuff. Aww. So pretty much on the spot we signed him up for 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 flight lessons and so he this, he'll have his third this saturday we've got it wow he can go up into the air uh i think we're arranging our budget where we can go up once a week now we initially were thinking okay once a month no that's probably not enough so every other week and then we started every other week and then that's uh, you know if a bill comes due every two weeks you're like god already this bill's due but flying you know it's like Ah, we still have another six days before you fly again. So I think we've tried to muster up where he'll get in the and get some airtime every week, and um, this will be his third lesson oh. this Saturday. So he's really looking forward to that and uh, doing a good job. We're I'm learning a lot, <laughs> helping him study, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty fascinating stuff. So uh, but he's enjoying. That's it. exciting. So I'm I'm also very jealous because I try getting my kids. I I used to be a history major, love history, fascinated by it, and I've tried so many documentaries with my kids, and they've been epic fails every time. So <laughs> oh no, it's like torture hey, for them. That's that's how it works. I was talking to another parent. You know, I don't know. It's kind of like. Um, my dad was an architect and I wanted nothing to do with that. And I hear from folks like, you know, I'm the other pilots, like my, my kids are the same age and they want nothing. They won't even go up in the plane with me. They have nothing to do. So it's funny how that works. It's like, you know, yeah, exactly. dad, dad might be a dentist, but then their son's interested in being a heart surgeon, you know, a landscaper or anything like that. It's like mm-hmm. so, so far from, from us. But you know, the funny thing was the reverse psychology. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, he was a little disappointed that in the Cessna that he's flying, there's not a tail gunner. So um, he was <laughs> he was a little disappointed. He was like, what, there's no tail gunner? <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> yep, you got to love it. Out of the mouths of babes, they say, I guess. Yep, 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 yep. Well, a few it. more years and he'll he'll get to watch um, Top Gun and those and those movies, which are always fun. Absolutely, and what there was another one, yeah. uh, Iron Eagle, I think was one that was about uh, a teenager that you know somehow can you know flies F-16s or what or what have you, and so yeah, mm-hmm. a- absolutely, <laughs> yep, absolutely. And oh, Ender's okay. Game is a classic one too. What's that? I'll write it down. Ender's Game. It's a it's a sci-fi book, but it's it's more of like a drone kind of conceptual idea where this this kid's playing video games. He thinks he's playing video games, but in fact he's really fighting um, ah. on behalf of his like government. So it's it's a good it's especially now it's a very relevant topic. Obviously, does that sound kind of like a modern day? Uh, what was that with Matthew Broderick? Was it War Games? When he was like a computer oh, yeah. geek, remember that you computer yep. geek, and, all, and oh, then all of a sudden movie. he's like, he's got he he meets this uh, artificial intelligence. I think it, what was it called? Uh, the Joshua, Whopper, right? The Whopper, Joshua. yeah, Joshua, right. yeah, yeah, the Joshua. Whopper, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
that yeah, movie so that's is awesome. Not... That still holds up to the test of time, in my humble opinion, too. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I love it. Okay, listeners, enough uh, host chat. I know you're probably being <laughs> bored for all this, but you know, I don't, I don't, I don't talk to Maurice all the time off the air. But uh, so we're playing catch up for the new year. So thanks for bearing with us, and you want to hear about chickens? So we'll digress and get to uh, <laughs> prepping for a new flock. Great, great. Well, that was fun. We should we should have a, a little movie review or something before each show for now on. But uh, oh yeah, there you go. On, <laughs> on the chicken. So so I was I I'm kind of since we're you know in the, in the thick of winter right now, but but spring is is always around the corner or, or around the corner. I I thought it might be kind of interesting to start talking about for for folks that are going to start a new flock or are um, thinking about raising poultry for the first time, you know, this is a good time to start kind of thinking ahead and um, uh, planning a little and and thinking a little about, you know, just some of the resources that are out there. And, um, you know, the other kind of topic you could eventually talk about too, is you could dedicate a show to to those of you that are thinking about hatching your own eggs um, who have birds already, but now want to uh, kind of close the loop or close the cycle, if you will. So we could certainly do a, a show on that eventually. Um, so the first kind of thing I just want to mention, and, and this kind of, I, I think probably for your audience is, 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 is probably preaching to the choir a little, but, you know, you have to make that decision to, to make a commitment. So, um, as we all know, pets, um, including chickens require time. So, so we just have to make sure that, uh, if we're going to do this, that, that we're around, that we have time, um, that we're willing to, to commit, um, you know, ourselves to, to taking care of that, that, those birds um, every single day for, for as long as they're alive. And I know that's kind of preaching to the choir, but always something bears repeating, especially, um, you know, those of us who have kids and the, and the kids are saying, oh, I'll take care of it and I'll feed it. You know, that, that's, that's a really important <laughs> thing. There are some, so we live in Davis, um, it's a college town. Um, and there are a lot of backyard poultry in, in Davis. And what I've seen some r- very clever uh, kind of town folk do is they, they have a shared fence, basically. They take a, a wedge of their fence out, and the, and the birds are kind of raised in a coop that, that kind of crosses over both properties. Um, and the nice part about it is when people go on, on vacation – um, then one person can, you know, one, one family can take over from the other. Um, so I've seen that, you know, that's obviously a little more elaborate, but, but just making sure that you always have some backups and backups for those backups is, is always a good thing. Um, the other thing I want to, as long as we're talking a little about kids, so the Center for Disease Control, the, the CDC recommends that children under five um, do not handle chickens. And mm-hmm. the reason is we, we basically have this assumption that all chickens um, are, are carriers of one type or another type of salmonella. And mm-hmm. as we all know with kids, um, kids love to touch things, and then they love to touch their face and their mucous membranes and their, and their, mouth, uh, their mouths. So, um, you know, you do run that risk of, 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 um, of having your kids get, get sick. So I, I've seen it. My kids went to a preschool where they had chickens, and, and people were just very cautious about it. So I've seen people who are, um, you know, don't follow that that CDC recommendation. And at some level, I'm I'm fine with that as long as you, you have that kind of responsible kind of five year old, and you're you're overseeing that. And and you know, we all know our kids. So there there might be eight or nine year old kids that that aren't uh, that aren't um, you know good at following those type of directions. So. We kind of have to use our best judgment. I'm, I would always err on the side of caution. Um, so, you know, raising, especially chickens, um, chickens have a lot of salmonella, campylobacter, 
Um, and we just need to be really cautious as grown-ups and kids. Um, and then the other thing is obviously older folks, um, anyone that's immunocompromised, um, we also need to be uh, super cautious, wash our hands, all, all the stuff that, that we know we're sh- we should do that um, because of the pandemic, we're getting a, a lot better at doing, um, um, I guess, fortunately in that sense. Um, another another so thing I'll, yeah, I'll add to that, because you'll have a lot of folks that are listening, and then they'll get on these forums, and they'll say, well, I've kept chickens for all these years, and I've never had salmonella for them. And, and really, if, if you want to get down really to the truth and really the science behind it, a lot of these folks can't say that because you can say, okay, the last time you had these symptoms, you may have blamed it on the, the, the cheap buffet you had lunch at. Oh, it was just, you know, it was just, I had some food poisoning or I had, uh, uh, you know, I had a stomach bug or I had this or I had that. But if you never got tested, there's no way you can say, well, I didn't get this from my chickens. If they had, it, it could be that, you know, with these symptoms that you're going to see from the salmonella strains that you might get from your chickens versus uh, any other maybe food poisoning from that Chinese restaurant or that cheap buffet or maybe you got a stomach bug or this, that, or the other, a lot of the uh, symptoms will coincide. So, oh, really? So you got tested to confirm that the last time you had all these symptoms, you it was a stomach bug or it was from that, that uh, Chinese buffet you claimed where it was from? Uh, and they really don't know. It very well could have been from their chickens. So for them to just say, oh, I've never had salmonella from my chickens, they can't can't really say that just like I, I really refrain from saying my chickens are absolutely healthy because I can't honestly say that because when were the last time they were tested for anything they could be out there walking around with mycoplasma for all I know I can't, so and that's I guess not a healthy chicken so because they have a disease so I just want it for those listeners newer listeners that are here and you see responses like that on the blogs and forums when it comes to well I've never had salmonella um it's it's one of those things. And one more thing I see um, that people post that they'll say, well, you would know if your chickens had salmonella. They would show signs and symptoms, and that is definitely not the case. A, a chicken that is shedding salmonella uh, can absolutely look perfectly healthy and show no signs or symptoms um, for that. Um, so that's not always the case if you see that newbies in uh, in a uh, in a forum as well. So I digress, but I don't want to. There's a couple of things that are so important that I see happening every day in the blogs and forums and whatnot. I had to uh, add that in there for you. <laughs> nope, that's a great point, and I mean, it would certainly make my job easier and and food safety easier in general if the type of salmonella that that makes you and I sick also made the chicken sick. Um, because then we would know not to eat the eggs from those. But unfortunately, life doesn't work that way. The salmonella, the salmonella that makes us sick doesn't typically make them sick. So um, you're absolutely right. So we have to just always err on the side of caution. Foodborne mm-hmm. illness is so rampant, so prevalent in, in our, um, um, even to this day in, a, in developed countries, including the United States, you know, one out of every three Americans are going to get a foodborne illness every year. So mm-hmm. um, it's, it, it's, you know, we, we have a long way to go on, on food safety and, um, you know, we're, we're all this amazing technology that we have hasn't really percolated into kind of the mainstream yet, but um, it's coming and, and it'll certainly have an impact. But, you know, at the end of the day, and I've told reporters this for, for years now, my own opinion is that, you know, the government has their job. They've got to create regulations. Um, that that uh, create an environment where it's it's, it's uh, companies are, are are following best practices and, and there's repercussions if they don't. The companies have their job to do best practices and follow the rules. 
And then the consumers, we have our job too. You know, I just can't uh, take uh, ground chicken and splash it all over my kitchen, obviously, and, and assume <laughs> that uh, things are going to be fine. So we all have our, our jobs to do. And um, I, I think, you know, knowledge is, is kind of paramount for, for all of us to do our jobs, knowledge and science. And, and that's kind of what, what hopefully leads the way as far as best practices. Mm-hmm. Um, so so um, now that we kind of, you know, we've made that commitment, we, we want to have our birds. Um, so so the, the next kind of thing is to kind of start reading about different breeds, um, understanding, you know, what, what are the differences and, and um, how we want to um, kind of almost take advantage of those differences. So uh, first of all, when you're reading kind of about breeds, um, you know, there is good and bad social media, as we all know. Um, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm at a university in extension, so I, I don't get paid by any companies or, um, anyone like that to say, well, buy this breed or buy this type of feed or buy these kind of treats. Um, and, you know, ostensibly, I think it's really important to, to, to always be aware of what websites you're looking at, what the motivations are, what the backgrounds are. You remember anecdotal evidence? So when someone says, I, I gave apple cider vinegar to my chicken every day um, and, and, and they've never gotten avian influenza, well, you know, that, that's, that, that, that's obviously not a, a kind of compelling argument. So we just need to be aware of, of kind of what social media says. And, and I'm not discounting websites like Backyard Poultry and, 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 and things like that, but it's always important to kind of, you know, kind of look at the different sources. And, you know, there, there are folks like myself that are um, available and, you know, I get phone calls and emails from, from people all over the place. And, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, all your guests who are um, in academia uh, get these same emails and, and calls. And my own feeling is you guys pay my salary. I, I work at a public university. One of the, the great, you know, kind of values of that is that, you know, you, you guys can, can reach out to me and, and ask me questions. And if I can't answer them, I, I, can, I can say I don't know, or I can, I can reach out to other people on your behalf. So I, I really encourage people, not just with me, but with, with universities in general, reach out to, to the resources you have there. You guys pay for um, our salaries and, you know, those, those amazing colleges and institutions that do all these amazing research projects. So, um, nothing wrong with going to backyard poultry and some of the blogs and forums and things like that. Totally get it. But also, you know, make sure that you, you, you validate what, what the findings you have with, with other, um, you know, other resources. Um, so with respect to breeds, there, there's over 500 different breeds that, that, are, that, are, that are available, depending on, you know, kind of where you go and, and how, you, how you do this. Um, they're, they're all a little different, um, you know, in temperament, uh, egg production, uh, feathering, the color of the eggs. Um, but it's, it's, you know, the thing from, from my perspective that that's probably really important to consider is choosing a breed, um, that, that first of all is, um, kind of conducive to your environment. So big picture, if you live in a hot climate, I live in Davis, our summers are brutal. It's really hot here. Um, and um, I always tell people in Davis, okay, you're going to get backyard birds. Just make sure you get chickens with large combs um, because that, that comb, um, a lot of blood circulates through that, and that's how the birds can kind of cool off. Um, likewise, if you live in a really cold environment, you probably want to get a, a small comb um, because um, those birds have a, have a little more challenge um, to, stay, um, to stay warm. Um, temperament is really important. Um, so bantams are, are great birds for kids. Um, they're a little smaller, uh, 
they seem to be, um, you know, in general, very friendly. That being said, you know, the only thing I'd be cautious of when it comes to breeds is just uh, um, roosters. Uh, roosters can be a little aggressive. Um, so, again, if you have kids or um, you're, you're a little shy of, of aggressive animals, um, try to stay away from roosters. And what you can do is when you do order chicks, um, make sure you get um, uh, females that are what we call sex-linked. And that's just a fancy way of saying that the instead of someone, sometimes when, you, when the chicks hatch, it, it, you can't really tell if it's a male or female. And there are some very talented people that can do this within like a, you know, literally like a half a second. They can basically just palpate the bird and tell. Even those people make mistakes. So, you know, 97, 98% of the time they're, they're right. But, you know, as luck would have it, you, you get the, the rooster. And roosters are, are not good for all kinds of reasons. First of all, a lot of the municipal codes don't allow you to have roosters. It's just going to be a little louder, a little more aggressive. They don't produce eggs, all those things. Um, so if you really, really, really want to make sure that you are getting a female, get a sex-linked breed. And when those chicks hatch, the sex-linked are one color. Uh, the the sex-linked female are one color, and the sex-linked male are another color. So. Um, you know, those are things you can look at when you look at um, the commercial hatcheries and, and, and see what options there are. If you really want to make sure not leave anything to chance, don't want that, you know, one in 100, two in 100 type of, of possibility. Um, one thing I do want to point out is that um, egg colors, people love to kind of, you know, look at the different egg colors they have and Americanas and those kind of breeds have these beautiful shells, but it just doesn't matter. Um, the egg color from a from a nutritional perspective, but um, I know people like to have fun with that and mix and match. And sometimes when you go to the farmers market, you see these beautiful you know baskets of eggs with all these different kinds of um, um, colors. So you know, big picture, think about what breed you're getting. Put a little thought into it. Um, the commercial producers do the same exact thing. Um, they're really you know thoughtful about what they're trying to to accomplish and, and what they want. Do they want tons of eggs? Do they want meat? Um, do they want small eggs? Do they want big eggs? If you live in a, in, a, in a highly urban area and you have a small backyard, bantams are probably the way to go because um, they're just smaller and they don't need as much space. So um, just putting a little thought into that and looking at all the options. I know it can be really overwhelming because there's just a lot of breeds out there. Um, um, but, but, you know, that's where you can always reach out to, um, to someone like me. And actually, that's where, in my opinion, um, a lot of the non-academic resources are sometimes better than the academic resources, because um, that's just not the kind of stuff that we really focus a ton on. Um, so, you know, sometimes some of the things you'll read just from anecdotal experience is probably some of the best knowledge you're going to find, especially when it comes to breeds. Um, maybe not with diseases and vaccines and things like that, but, but on breeds and kind of, you know, people's experience with that, I, I certainly would, um, um, uh, in many cases, defer to people that, that do this a lot more than I do as far as raising backyard um, backyard breeds and bantams and things like that. So that's a perfect example of, I think, where you'd, you'd want to listen to those kind of resources. Um, so other things that you kind of want to do beforehand is, is find a veterinarian. Um, so, um, you know, finding a dog and cat veterinarian in this country, I mean, is really easy. Um, so Davis, I think our, our vet class is you know, over 120 now. And per year of, of veterinarians that, that we're kicking out into, um, into the world. And it, probably 100 of them go into small animal and focus on dogs and cats, and probably 20 of them or so uh, do 
mainly equine and, and, and a handful here do dairy and, and every once in a while, maybe we get someone that's, that's really interested in commercial poultry or something like that or research, but um, for better or for worse, that's kind of the, the breakdown of how that works. And we don't have a lot of veterinarians that have a lot of experience in poultry. So my point is, assuming that you're a regular veterinarian, it's going to be easy to find a veterinarian that, that really focuses on poultry or just even birds in general. Is, 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 it's, it's not a good assumption, and, and you should make an effort to call and identify. That doesn't mean you have to, to bring your chicken in or have them come out to your chicken, but you just want to have that number listed so when the inevitable something happens um, that you can reach out to them. And, you know, like I said, there's people like me all over the country. And even if you're outside of California, I'm not going to ask to see your license or anything like that to, uh, to, 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 to provide advice. And actually it's really interesting. I get so many, you know, nice emails and phone calls from so many of your guests, Andy, that are outside of mm-hmm. California. And I, I've, you know, always help them of course. So, um, so, so, you know, whether you, whether you use a resource like myself and extension where, where we're free um, or whether you go to a veterinarian because you just want to have that close relationship and, and, and um, you know, I, 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 w- I, w- I would be agnostic. All the above, I think, is probably a good thing. Um, the more you email us and the more you call us, the, the more we know you and, and the, um, you know, I think the, the, the better advice that you're going to get over time. The key part about having a, a veterinarian in your region and close to you is that veterinarians cannot prescribe drugs without actually seeing the patient. So um, the rule basically is if I've seen your chicken, um, then, then, then we can prescribe drugs. And then I think what the rule is, because I don't do as much clinical work, but I think the rule is, is basically that within the, uh, I, I, I can prescribe medications then remotely up until a year, um, until, I, uh, until a year later. And then at that point, I would need to see the, the patient again. So Getting that relationship with a vet is so important. Um, you know, I, I know it's money, obviously, eventually too, because you're you're getting site visits and things like that. But but it is really pennies on the dollars in some cases, and um, you know, especially for those of you that are keen to slowly move into you know maybe selling a few eggs at a farmer's market or selling some hatching eggs and things like that. Having a veterinarian is going to be really useful in, in, for all kinds of reasons. Um, you know, if you're going to sell hatching eggs across state lines, um, you need um, – uh, there's a, a, a form that needs to fill, be filled out. I think it's like 9-3. It's a USDA form. And the only one that can sign that form is a, is a veterinarian. So get that relationship. You know, start talking to your extension vets like me and other, other um folks that do poultry around the country. And um, I, I think that's, that's, that's a really good investment. You learn a little um, during the process too. Um, the other thing I mentioned a little earlier is, is just make sure you look at your different municipal rules and regs. Um, so, you know, most urban city type areas don't allow roosters. Um, you know, there's usually caps on the number of birds you can have. And there's usually requirements about how far the coop needs to be away from the neighbor's yard. Um, that being said, you know, you're, you're, I, I, I've never, you know, I, I, I live in Davis. We have backyard chickens all over the place. So I hear roosters pretty, pretty consistently. Um, I know, you know, friends of, of ours who have uh, above the amount of birds that they're supposed to have and their coops are, are, are next to their neighbor's yard um, and, and nothing happens in part because they're all responsible, right? So if they have an extra chicken or two, um, mm-hmm. but there's no odor issues, 
um, and, and they're giving eggs to their neighbor and they have a friendly relationship with them, obviously nothing's going to happen. But, but the most important part is just to be aware of them, um, look them up. And in city of Sacramento, um, you actually have to register your chickens now, I think, once a year, and you have to pay a certain fee or something like that. And I think they thought this is, I mean, there was a reason they were doing it from a public health perspective, but, but I think the participation or the adoption was like maybe just 100 or 200 flocks at the most that, that actually even signed up. So mm-hmm. the most important thing to do is, is be a good neighbor, right? So don't let fecal material build up. If you've got a rooster, you know, be really conscious about the, the noise issues, um, odor issues. Those are all important things that kind of um, make sure that you're aware of. Um, and then just kind of going down the list. So, so, you know, even before you find a feed store and hatchery, just look at your backyard. What's the layout of your backyard? Um, we talked about salmonella earlier. You never want to have birds pooping in your um, vegetable boxes, right? Because um, it, is, it is very challenging. You're, you're, you're kind of setting yourself up for disaster in that point. You might say, well, I wash these or I cook these, and that might be so. Um, but, but salmonella is very sticky. It forms biofilms, and uh, it, can, it can persist, uh, just like Campylobacter. They, they can persist for a long time. And, you know, there's a reason we want to keep those, those two areas separate. Now, if we're composting our, 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 our poultry manure, um, and, and uh, you know, there's specific times and temperatures that we want to reach in order to not eliminate but reduce the amount of salmonella there. Um, then we could talk about, you know, how to apply that, that material back to the soil and, and, uh, and things like that. And there's, um, you know, all kinds of, of, I think, really useful resources on that. Composting can be a little challenging if you don't have a lot of nitrogenous material, uh, material that just, just has that nitrogen in it. Um, because you, you, you need to get to, you know, these, these much higher temperatures, 60, 70 degrees Celsius uh, for a certain period of time, which I, I can't remember off the top of my head, um, in order to get the, the kill of the salmonella and the campy, uh, campylobacter that you need. And in order to um, select for the good bacteria um, that are going mm-hmm. to kind of take over for your, um, uh, um, that are going to displace those killed, bac- those killed salmonella, for example. Um, so when you do look at your backyard, make sure that you are able to kind of fence the birds off from your vegetable beds, for example. Now, birds are very clever, and they can get over and under nets and things like that. So um, don't make perfect the enemy of good. It, it can be challenging to kind of always keep them uh, fenced into their space. Um, but, but when you do look at your backyard, think about space. So in general, you want the coop to be able to um, house uh, one bird for every two square feet. And then the outdoor area, I just typically double. So the coop is, is one bird for every two square feet. And then the outside area um, that, that's still fenced in, um, separate mm-hmm. from your vegetable beds, for example, is four square feet per bird. Um, no science behind that other than, you know, I look at all the, the, the kind of rules and, and um, regulations on the commercial side and, and this is about double the space that, that a, a conventional you know kind of layer bird would typically get now backyard birds have challenges but one of the things they do not have an issue with is is enrichment they have a lot of stuff to kind of uh, entertain them so um, you know those those four square feet and two square feet are, are more than enough considering all the all the fun stuff that they get to peck in to peck at and all the different things that are going on there um, so, 
think about your yard's layout in a, in a perfect world. Once a year, you're going to move that coop on coop area to a different corner of your yard. A lot of people can't do that. Um, so if that's not possible, I'm not opposed to that. I'm not opposed to just keeping your coop in the same spot. But I think where a lot of people go wrong is they just keep their birds um, and they have a multi-age flock. So they, they keep those birds in that coop um, for months and years without ever having any downtime. And what I mean by downtime is, is you want a time period where you can not have any birds in the coop, not have any birds in that fenced off area surrounding the coop. Um, so UV sunlight and nature can kind of do its job to kind of kill all the bacteria that are, that are there. You can do your best to kind of clean things. And sometimes what happens is people have their, their chickens and they just keep those, those birds and then as those birds get older, they get a few new ones, and, and there's no downtime at all. And you've got young birds and old birds and just continuously using that, that you know, 100 square feet or 50 square feet, whatever it is, for, for years at a time. And that's when you start kind of playing with fire a little because you're, you're just creating an environment that's got a lot of salmonella potentially built up in it. Uh, wildlife start coming in pretty consistently. Um, so, so trying to engineer some downtime where, you know, if you can take your birds and put them in a separate corner of your yard for a week, a year, and just let that other spot kind of dry out and get exposed to sunlight um, and clean it as best as you can, clean and disinfect it as best you can is, is probably a, a really important thing to do that, that a lot of people, almost all backyarders don't do because they just, they just want to keep their birds in that spot for, for forever. And I, I kind of understand the logic behind it, but it's, it's not um, an ideal thing. So, Think about that layout. Try to think about how you can engineer some break for that coop and that land, um, and and that'll that'll help your 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 garden. That'll help your your birds' health. Um, probably some food safety advantages there um, also. Um, so a couple other things. Um, find a reputable feed store and hatchery. Um, so there is this thing called the National Poultry Improvement. It's really mm -hmm. You know, especially now when you kind of think about all the challenges we're dealing with as a country, MPIP is this nice agreement between uh, federal, state, and industry. And it basically, um, you know, kind of creates a system where uh, we can um, monitor how um, hatcheries are raising um, their, their, their birds. Because the mommies and daddies, right, the, the breeding stock, if they're mm -hmm. healthy, then the chicks are typically healthy. So the MPIP is this program that's been around, I don't know, for, what is it, about 100 years or so, Andy? Um, that, yeah. um, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. It, it, yeah, so, and it's, it's been around for 100 years, and it, it, you know, it was originally designed to deal with this, this bacteria called Salmonella pylorum, which it did an amazing job of. And now it's been expanded to deal with several other diseases. So my point is, when you deal with feed stores and you deal with hatcheries, um, ask if they are part of the MPIP. Ask if they're if they're if they're only working with hatcheries that are part of the national national poultry improvement program. That doesn't mean that they're uh, disease free and, and that they were you know kind of the, the chicks were raised in a, in a bubble or anything like that, or that the moms and dads were raised in a bubble. But it, at the minimum, it means someone's coming by. They're testing those birds, the, the parent stock for uh, Salmonella pylorum, among other diseases. They're making sure that the, 
the hatchery itself and the, the, the equipment and everything is, is clean and, and, and um, operated correctly. Um, so it's a really important program. And, and my kind of question, especially for feed stores, if feed stores are not purchasing from hatcheries that are part of MPIP, then, then I kind of start wondering what other corners they might be kind of cutting. Um, now, the one exception I would add to that is there are some breeds that are very unique and not all hatcheries are, are going to uh, hatch all 500 breeds of chicken. So you are going to every once in a while, I say, well, I really, really want this breed of chicken. It's beautiful. I like the feathering. I like the eggs, whatever it be. Um, and in that scenario, you know, maybe you only found a, a very small time breeder in your, in your area of whatever state you live in. And they're not part of MPIP because it, it just didn't pencil out or they just don't want the hassle, whatever it be. So in that scenario, I, I'm not opposed to, to purchasing from, from, from those folks, but just be aware that, um, you know, they're not going through all the bells and whistles of, of, of hopefully maintaining that, that those, those breeding birds is, uh, and monitoring their health. But I do understand there's some unique breeds out there. Yeah, I'll throw out another one, and then I'll go to commercial break, and we'll come back and continue regarding the NPIP. I believe it was the, the 1930s when they established NPIP, so we are coming up on 100 years, I believe. And then um, the other thing is, I guess it was about four years ago uh, with CDC and uh, MPIP, uh, USDA, um, we were having these salmonella outbreaks every single year for like 20 years, and we had one this year. We had one last year, um, with uh, which are really geared towards the the backyard flocks. So everybody got together and they um, implemented a new. Um, if you want to, even though MPIP doesn't really certify anybody, you participate in their program. That's another, if you want to get nitty gritty about it, and I normally kind of stay silent with this in the blogs and forums, because at the end of the day, they, people are realizing MPIP is important. So to say, well, you're really not MPIP certified, you participate in their program and da, 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 da. But one thing to look for when you're also looking, even at these large hatcheries, well, I'm just going to throw out ideal poultry, uh, for example. There's a new one called Salmonella Monitored, and, and where it comes to be confusing, um, and it's confusing for a lot of folks, and, and, and I even stumbled across this uh, about a year after it was implemented, this plan, Salmonella Monitored, was I was at a larger hatcheries website, and it said chat now, and I said, okay, I'll chat now, and I, I don't know who was on the other end of that, uh, what level in the hatchery they were. And I said, hey, I just wanted to know if y'all participated in the MPIP Salmonella Monitored Program. And, of course, their answer was yes, we participate in MPIP, da 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 And I said, well, even at the most basic level for even a backyard uh, poultry keeper to participate in MPIP, they, they'll test for Salmonella pylorum, and, and, but, but this is totally separate. And then I followed up with a phone call. And I actually talked to that person. She said, yeah, I was mistaken. I apologize. And, and they did not participate in the Salmonella Monitored Program. Now, what that means is that if, you, if this hatchery participates in the Salmonella Monitored Program, and, and, and I think it would be a good idea when you call to order these baby chicks, say, hey, do you happen to participate in the Salmonella Monitored Program? Where, what this means is that hatchery actually tests several times a month. Um, four strains of salmonella 
that do affect humans. So at the very basic level, yes, I'm at the basic level of MPIP participation. They'll check for salmonella, I guess it's pleurum, and um, which is my understanding, no danger to humans. It's it's a bird issue, uh, that chicken issue. Um, but the salmonella monitored program through MPIP specifically has that hatchery um, testing for sal salmonella strains that can affect humans, which of course is so important to try to get that number every year down uh, when we have these salmonella outbreaks. I wanted to share that with folks too. When you call the hatchery to order, you can just say, hey, do you participate in the salmonella monitor program? You'll probably have to follow that up, follow that up with, this is separate than just the regular MPIP that checks for the bird salmonella. But this, you know, this checks for human and see if they participate in that. If not, maybe you'll want to try to find a hatchery before you order that does participate uh, in that salmonella monitored program. Because it is only, it's new, I guess, since the last, uh, I think, four years. So I apologize about that beeping. That's my son's uh, diabetic alarm. He's type 1 uh, diabetic, uh, juvenile diabetes. So uh, it's letting me know that there's no signal coming from his sensor in his arm. So, um so anyway, I'm going to go to commercial break. We'll be back. Uh, if you're just tuning in or have tuned in recently, we're talking about prepping for a new flock with poultry veterinarian Dr. Poteski, and we'll be back right after this short break. Stay with us, folks. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Strombergs family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Strombergs should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. All right, thanks for staying with us today. I also wanted to do a couple more things since we were just uh, came off the commercial break uh, and kind of apologize, I guess, for uh, uh, you may have been expecting um, the uh, owner 
uh, of uh, um, the folks, the, the makers of the uh, <laughs> Chick Fresh product. We were trying to get him on Tuesday or today for the first 15 minutes of the show, and he had a, a um, kind of an unexpe- uh, unexpected, unscheduled trip uh, out of state for uh, for business, so he was not able to uh, make it. It was uh, it was on the books. We were trying to get him to come on. They've got a new product coming out because all of y'all uh, are familiar with the Chick Fresh product, which is absolutely amazing, uh, and many of you use it. And if you don't want to believe me, go check their Amazon reviews. Just type in Chick Fresh Odor Control Spray, and you'll see all the amazing reviews from people just like you. Uh, that are giving reviews for this product. We use it all over the homestead here. I buy it out of my own pocket um, from Amazon, and I mix it in a one-gallon sprayer because we have a huge coop, but we also use it for the garbage can, cat litter boxes, the uh, rabbit hutches. I mean, you name it. We use it all over the place here. They got a new product coming out, and he was going to come on and talk about that, but he had an unexpected trip. I said, well, hey, we can get you on next Thursday, a week from today, uh, when we have um, Dr. McCray come back on the 21st, but he's having soldier, uh, <laughs> shoulder surgery, say that 10 times, and so it'll be at least a couple of weeks before we get him back on. So um, if you were saying, hey, we're, but I, I was anchored, I always used, I already used the Chick Fresh product from them, uh, from Coop Care products, and so I was anxious to hear about this new product they have. I'm on pins and needles because this one's so awesome. What else could they come out with? Uh, so that'll be in a couple of weeks. We'll have Barry back on to talk about the new product that they are actually releasing very, very soon. So keep that in mind. And um, there's one more thing I was going to talk about, I think. Oh, um, and that is uh, we're kind of ending our little study and uh, of a um, of a product that's been out quite a while, and that is the um, Carefree Enzymes. Uh, you need to go check them out. Carefree Enzymes water protector, and so it's it's all natural Carefree Enzymes that uses enzymes to try to eliminate uh, again some diseases and bacteria that are going to be found in your chicken's water. And let's face it, there there's going to be some issues with your chicken's water because I love it when when folks, uh, especially new chicken owners, and I love you guys, um, say my chickens are so smart, you know, and I'm like. Yeah, they're so smart, they crap in their clean water and then drink it. Yeah, that's real smart. <laughs> so that I'm, getting, I'm, I'm actually collecting a whole slew of these things that's actually fun. And uh, we're, we're actually looking at, believe it or not, either probably coming out with a calendar, a 12-month or 18-month calendar. And when you flip the page, it'll have a funny expression of a chicken and then something crazy like that. Like, my chickens are so smart, dot, dot, dot. That they poop in their clean water I just gave them or, you know, my chickens are so smart and I'll have a picture of a like a hen sticking her head through the fence. They can jump over the fence to get out just fine, but they can't figure out how to get back in. We've all experienced that. Uh, your your hen jumps out of the fence in the morning because oh, the grass is always greener on the other side. And they jump right over. And then when it's time to go back in, they're pacing back and forth the fence, and they're I'm shooing them, and they're like, uh, I can't get through, I can't get through, I can't get through. Uh, so you're smart enough to jump out, but you're not smart enough to jump back in. But my chickens are so smart. So we're coming up with this eight-month calendar uh, with these these different little things that start off with, you know, kind of like that, I guess it's Jeff Fox with, you might be a redneck if, and it says, my chickens are so smart, dot, 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 that they poop in their clean water and drink it. So we're going to have some fun with that. 
Um, so, but yeah, we've been using the, the water protector now, uh, cause, cause we're looking for something to, you know, get away from that apple cider vinegar, um, quackery that's, that's all out there and, and gone crazy, which, which there's people claim that it can, uh, actually prohibit calcium absorption for the hen, which we know is bad for a laying hen. So something else that we can get some benefit out of, uh, real benefit out of, uh, when you use it with with your clean waterers, so uh, uh, carefreeenzymes.com, you can check them out and uh, see there the water protector uh, as well. So I want to share that with you. That's kind of wrapping up here on the homestead of testing that product out. We've been doing that since the summer because we wanted to see if it also helps prevent algae buildup in the summer, like so many claim apple cider vinegar does in the summer. That little green algae film, you know. So uh, we'll be uh, hopefully putting something together for y'all to. Um, review maybe in a show about our our results with the uh, carefree enzymes water protector okay let's see uh there was one more thing oh also upcoming up i'm really excited i'm hoping i got a contact in this week because all of y'all have been waiting for three years for this product to come out and that is we're hoping next month february 2021 that was the last i heard where american wood fibers is going to be coming out uh at retail for their odor control shavings um, so as soon as that's out, I'll let you know where you can buy it and, uh, and how you can get it. It may be on Chewy, it may be at Walmart, it may be at your local feed store, but at last I heard next month, the odor control shavings we've been testing for oh, at least three years. Um, and they've uh, tried to develop it and make it better. And, and it's been, it's been a really neat ride to be involved in that new product release. So I'll let you know when that happens. All righty, back to the show, prepping for a new flock. And uh, we just got a few minutes. Uh, so hopefully we're towards the end of your, uh, of uh, your outline for uh, getting that information to these folks that are prepping for a new flock, doc. Great. Um, so just a couple things. So uh, when you do uh, purchase chicks, um, those are just a couple of days old, so they don't have their, their down feathers yet, and they're not very good at maintaining um, their body heat. So for at least two to three weeks, typically, um, until those down feathers come in, you really want to, to brood them. And, and um, brooding is just a fancy word for saying keeping them in a kind of a warm place. Uh, so typically that's not outside. Typically, um, for a lot of people, that's in kind of a garage type of setting. Uh, big thing with chicks, uh, keep it simple. So, um, you know, the only thing you really want to think about is three things. You want to think about making sure they have access to water, clean water, um, put marbles in the waters. Uh, they're nice and shiny. They attract the birds to the water. Um, birds, as Andy just mentioned a little earlier, might not be the smartest things in the world. So uh, getting them to see something shiny and then they'll be like, oh, I'll drink that up. Um, is, is a good way to attract them to water and also make sure they don't drown. Believe it or not, that can be a problem. And uh, so those watering pans, if you put marbles in it, kind of has a, a, dual, a dual usage there. Um, the second thing is food. So make sure there's, there's, there's constant supply of food there. Um, and the third thing is, is heat. So um, getting a, some type of brooding lamp. Um, and uh, there's nice little guides online showing you what mm -hmm. temperatures you want. But if you notice that your chicks are moving very close and huddling around the, the, the brooding heat source, that means you're probably not giving them enough heat. And if they are moving as far away from that heat source as possible, then you're, you're kind of frying them. Um, so, so pay attention to their behavior in addition to those kind of cheat sheets online. Um, and then the last two things I, I would say that, that you kind of need to th think about. So having a space for brooding, having a space to raise the, the birds, 
Um, but uh, last two things, uh, make sure you have some dedicated clothing. Um, so it's not mm-hmm. a piece to go shopping or anything like that, but um, <laughs> make sure you, uh, you have some uh, rubber boots um, and because rubber boots are really easy to clean and that those boots or shoes, even if you don't want to buy rubber boots, are dedicated to your chickens. You're not taking them to the feed store. You're not going to your friend's house that has birds. Um, whatever it is, they stay where the birds are. Same thing with clothing. So if you can uh, find some old clothes, those are, those are your, your, your poultry flock clothes. And the whole point is that we don't want to go about to poultry shows, to feed stores, to our neighbors, and track who knows what back into our flock. And, and this is the, probably the number one cause of how diseases spread not just human diseases, but poultry diseases. So I, I know it's a little hard sometimes to imagine, you know, what, what's actually on that and that particle of dirt that got in our shoes. And, and it's hard for us to think like, oh, there's no virus in there. And, it, you know, unfortunately, poultry are really hard to, to treat as far as diseases go. So prevention, prevention, prevention. And that leads to the last one, which is probably the most important thing when raising birds, whether they're chicks, whether, we, whether we're hatching birds, whether we have um, a, 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 a production flock of layers of broilers, is biosecurity. So, again, when you kind of look at that layout um, in your brooder, when you look at the layout of your, um, of your coop and this area surrounding the coop, you really need to think about how am I going to prevent wildlife, rodents, um, bugs, Um, birds from getting inside the coop because not only will they eat your food and drink the water, um, but they are great at transmitting diseases. So um, it's easier said than done. And and I'm a big proponent of not making perfect the enemy of good, um, but it is really important, you know, to, to make sure not only is your space nice and clean, but 20 feet around that, that uh, your coop that uh, 20, 30, 40 feet around, um, that there's no habitat, for example, for rodents, because those rodents will sneak in at night and, and, and um, they'll poop in the feed and the, the birds don't know one thing from the other and they will eat that poop. And that's the easiest way to get birds sick. So you wonder, you know, how did my birds get salmonella or mycoplasma? And, and it's, mm-hmm. it's typically, you know, either humans because we're not doing a good job of, of we're tracking diseases back and forth or um, our, our coops are just are set up for disaster, and, and, and that's how diseases, especially infectious diseases, will get, will get transmitted. So those are kind of the main things I wanted to focus on, Andy. So I can, I can expand sure. on any if you have any time or, or No, that uh, was, that was perfect. I'll, I'll elaborate on a few things. One, I'm so glad you mentioned rodents because it's such an uphill battle. It's very frustrating. I know you feel my pain sometimes with doing that. Um, with... Uh, I'll see somebody will say, especially again, we have a lot of new chicken keepers. So a lot of, there'll be a lot of posts that'll say, Oh my gosh, I just saw my, you know, hen eat an entire little mouse. You know, is that okay for them? Or someone will say, I have a mouse problem in my coat. What do I need to do? And then you'll see all these comments that, Oh, that's just extra protein for your chickens or my chickens devour mice or, you know, whatever the case may be. And then here comes Andy without all these people say, my chickens eat mice all the time, or you need to have, you know, your chickens don't eat them. What's wrong with that? Or free protein. It's going to be, you know, that they're, they're omnivores. They're, they eat meat and that type of thing. And then I go in with posting a great article, uh, years ago from Chicken Whisperer magazine by Dr. McRae about 
you know, the rodent control in the coop and how she talks about, hey, you know, chickens eating mice can increase the chance of salmonella in the eggs. And I have a great little full circle uh, diagram that I post about, you know, on, on a farm or, again, in your backyard, how that full circle comes with the salmonella in the eggs. So I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that rodent issue because earlier on I mentioned about the bird feeders. And then uh, you, you brought it kind of home at the end, which is great for all our listeners about the rodents. And, you know, nothing good can come from having rodents uh, in and around your coop. They are vectors of disease, like you said, eating the poop droppings or even the, eating the mouse themselves. So, yeah, we got we got to try to do what we can to eliminate those suckers. That's for sure. Um, and then boots that that's I'm, I'm, I'm try, I try so hard, but I, I am guilty. I think it's good to hear people say, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect by any chance stretch of the imagination. Uh, like you said, we try to do the best we can with what we got. And that's how I taught biosecurity for years was like, you know, here's all these things they recommend to do. And I know, let's face it, you're not going to do them all. And, and it doesn't make any sense to say I'm going to do them all because I love my flock. And then you get burned out and do nothing. So you choose these things we feel like we can do on a regular basis because every one of these steps that you can do to help your biosecurity plan is an, another step of protecting your flock. But we're in boots like to the feed store. I, I've got, you know, and boots aren't good. Farm boots are expensive. You know, I think my boots, so we had cows. So, you know, steel toe, um, you know, waterproof or whatever, but, you know, they're 250 bucks. And so I'm I'm guilty of making the occasional trip to the feed store with the boots that I wear here on the farm. Um, I, I'll raise my hand. I'll be the first one to raise my hand. That's guilty. And, and some, I'll get out of the truck and I'll look down and I'm like, oof, you know, I know better than this. And, and it happens sometimes. So I'm guilty about the boot thing. Uh, not so much the clothes. I'm pretty good about the clothes things, but the boot things I'm, I'm pretty bad about. So it, it does happen. Um, one thing you mentioned about, again, the, the great charts that are available when you're breeding the baby chicks this spring uh, and, and, We'll hear a lot of times with those charts, well, the charts I like that show that, you know, the chickens are under the heat source or in a corner or far away or kind of spaced out in the brooder evenly, which is kind of what we want. But also another thing that's always kind of been a pet peeve of mine, Doc, is that you'll see these charts that say the first week you get your baby chicks, the first week old, uh, you want the brooder to be 90 degrees. And then you'll reduce that heat uh, or the temperature in the brooder five degrees every week until it you know, pretty much becomes the outside, the outside temperature. And I have a problem with that, and I, and I try to address this as much as I can. I have on videos in the past and, and whenever I was teaching classes over the years is that you really don't want your entire brooder, and that's how they word it. That's how the charts are often worded. You want your brooder to be enough. Your whole brooder is 90 degrees. That's going to be, let's face it, too hot for some of the chicks. They're going to be super. So if you want that area, a portion of your brooder 90 degrees, or maybe that portion right under where the heat source is to be 90, but then you've got to have you know a part of your brooder less than 90 so those chicks that that's going to be too hot for uh they they can get away so i feel like and i've had in my day when i was selling chicks and you know, this was like over a decade ago and getting people started and setting them up with brooders and i would buy you know 500 chicks from a hatchery and then sell six or seven at a time before the hatchery started doing that and whatnot again over a decade ago i had more chicks come back dead from killing them with kindness by too hot of a brooder uh, oh, I, I put them in a cardboard box that's two feet by two feet and put the heat lamp, which we don't like, obviously, right on top of the box. And they, they, they had no escape. So um, to let the noobs know that, yeah, there's a lot of charts out there. But just know when you see that your brooder should be entire brooder basically should be 90 degrees, have an area 
that's cooler so your those chickens can self-regulate and move closer away like Dr. Potesky was saying. And then you mentioned about clothes, and it reminded me of something about, you know, the separate clothes you were talking about, biosecurity. <laughs> but this is kind of funny. Um, it's kind of cute, I guess, it's for lack of a better term. In one of the local, well, not local, not here, but in one of the Facebook chicken groups, and I can't remember which one it was. It may be Chickens, 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 I think is one. They got like 80,000 uh, members. Um, there was a, a, a chicken keeper, and she bought a – the best way for me to describe it is she bought a dress from Target, and it reminded her of a dress that they wore on Little House on the Prairie. And so she bought that dress, and then she did a little photo shoot uh, in her backyard with her chickens, with her coop, whatever, and, and black and white photo, you know, try to make it look like, you know, the whatever it was, you know, the 1800s, the early 1900s, with this dress from Target on that was flowery and had that style from, say, Little House on the Prairie. Well, it took off. So now there's been probably, I don't know, maybe dozens that are posting in this group of, of these women that went to Target, bought a, a dress that style from Little House in the Prairie back in the day, and then they're doing these photo shoots in their backyard, collecting eggs, holding egg baskets, holding their hands, you know, whatever, with these different poses with this Target dress on. <laughs> <laughs> so you talk about clothes, and that's that's kind of a current event that's going on right now, is that uh, they're having fun, you know, with their flock, and then they're enjoying taking pictures, and they're running out. People are saying, "I wonder if Target's all of a sudden going? Why are all these old dresses selling so fast?" Because um, all these 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 uh, wonderful chicken mamas are uh, do, having fun and doing photo shoots with these old whimsical, I guess, uh, Target dresses they're finding at Target. So when you mentioned clothes, that popped into my mind because every day there's a new post on that uh, chicken group of uh, a young lady, you know, doing these old-fashioned photos, if you will, with their chickens. So I thought that was kind of funny. I wanted to mention that, too, to folks. So, um, But that's that's all I've got. Did I spark anything in, in, in uh, your mind, Doc, that you wanted to elaborate on before we go? Nope, that was perfect. Thanks for. It's always nice to hear. I always like your 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 stories inter intertwined. There. It's always it always brings it a a little more uh, uh, makes it a little more personal. Good to hear. It's uh, just little things over the years I've I've seen or experienced with the folks. So, uh, but no, we appreciate you having on. I appreciate that, and we'll see you uh, next month. I guess the uh, second Thursday in February you'll be back and uh, first aid. Uh, I think we're doing um, flock first aid or setting up a first aid kit or whatever we discussed for uh, the spring issue of the magazine. So I'll tell folks how to subscribe to that for free um, in just a moment. But thanks for coming on, um, Doc. We appreciate it. Okay. Sounds good. Bye-bye. I'll talk to you soon. Great information from poultry veterinarian Dr. Maurice Pateski out at UC Davis, and he's been involved in in uh, this podcast for God, a long time, maybe even ten years, and uh, the magazine for the last six years. It's, it's, you know, he's contributed the first magazine uh, all the way through. So we thank Dr. Pateski for doing that. The magazine, if you weren't familiar, Chicken Whisperer magazine. It comes in a digital format and a print format, so you can have the magazine mailed to your front door. Uh, four times a year. The magazine comes out winter, spring, summer, fall. And uh, to have it actually, the physical magazine, mailed right to your mailbox, it's $9.95 a year. Okay, uh, Cheaper than all the other chicken magazines are out there. What sets Chicken Whisperer magazine apart from the other chicken magazines that are out there? Um, and this is going to sound probably kind of mean, but it is the truth. Um, it seems that those other chicken magazines, if you have a pin 
a pulse and poultry, they'll let you write for their magazine. It doesn't matter your qualifications or your experience or, or anything like that. If you have poultry, a pen, and a pulse, they will let you write for them. Um, and we don't do that here. We started out before we started this magazine six years ago that this is going to be science-based, fact-based, study-based information. The only people that write for Chicken Whisperer magazine are people like poultry scientists, Dr. McCray, poultry veterinarian, Dr. Petesky, um, poultry veterinarian. Uh, Jessica, and I'm thinking, Jessica Fox, and um, and let's see, we've got others. Oh, a poultry scientist um, Zach Williams, who's a PhD up at Michigan State. So you know that's who's writing for Chicken Whisperer magazine. It's not just uh, oh yeah, I do this, I do that. There's no proof behind it, no, and giving you wrong information. Um, so that's what separates Chicken Whisperer magazine. It's a you know you, you can have a magazine for entertainment, you can have a magazine for education. Chicken Whisperer magazine is poultry education, not poultry entertainment. So so it's not for everybody. If you want to go and have an, an entertainment magazine with bad information in it, there are plenty of choices. If you want to read a magazine that's going to help you take care, better care of your flock, um, the proven way, science-based, fact-based, study-based information, uh, then Chicken Whisperer magazine uh, is probably the magazine for you if, you want to, if you're interested in learning about taking care of your backyard flock versus just you know a blogger sharing stories. So uh, you can subscribe chickenwhisperermagazine.com, chickenwhisperermagazine.com, um, and you can from there either subscribe to the print edition, which is nine ninety five a year, or you can subscribe to the digital edition, which is free. It always has been free. It's not a bait and switch. It's not, you know, oh, you can only get this for three issues, and now you have to. No, people signed up for the free edition, the very first issue we, we did uh, six years ago, and they're still getting the magazine to their email box free every single issue. The digital issue is free and always will be. So, um, okay. And um, so I want to tell you a little bit about that. And I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, tune in next Thursday for Dr. McRae. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Sponsored by Tucker Milling. This has been Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling, with your host Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com, on Facebook by typing in The Chicken Whisperer, on Twitter, at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram, at The Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening. Thank you.